Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. David, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Yeah, sure. My name's David Josephs. I've been uh, working with JFK Evidence um, and where it leads for about 25 years now. I've written a, a few things. I coordinate and work with other authors from time to time as best we can. Um, I used to live back in California and did a few things with... Uh, Dr. Dr. A couple of the doctors up in San Francisco. I had a great presentation a number of years ago to some of my favorite people of all time, Peter Dale Scott and um, um, Tink Thompson was there. I mean, everybody was there. It was very, very pleasurable to make a presentation to people I respected all my life. So I've been overjoyed with being able to spend time now that I'm retired to um, write and expand my knowledge. And I appreciate your invitation. Thanks so much. When it comes to the interest in the JFK assassination, I mean, how'd you get started into it? Where did you particularly focus? I know I've seen a couple of your writings on a couple areas that a lot of researchers tend to stay out of when it comes to like backyard photography, even some of the rifle discrepancies as well, too. But, you know, you focus a lot on the evidence and what you can show is like real conspiracy based on the evidence that is there which is not an easy thing to do. I mean, if you're looking at it and you know, you're following the story that the Warren commission is holy in hundred percent, you're going to end up thinking Oswald that uh, did it. But if you kind of look at it with the Warren commission was bunk and it was kind of a lie. You start looking at the evidence, you start going, okay, none of this really matches exactly. Like even the Warren commission volumes don't match the Warren commission summary or report that they gave out to the public. Correct. Correct. Nowhere close. Um, I remember sitting in a closet many, many, many years ago when my parents had the Life magazine, the original magazines, and I must have been 12 or 13, I guess, at the time, maybe a little less. And um, just seeing and being amazed at what they were able to show and record. I didn't get into the detail of it, but it, it sparked an interest in me that kind of stayed with me until I wound up getting um, best evidence. And that book um, opened my eyes to so many different possibilities and options. And its point of view was that the medical evidence that is used in, uh, to create the conclusions as to what happened um, wasn't all that solid, <laughs> wasn't all that real. Um, there's a term called authentic evidence in which you have to take evidence that's presented if you want it to be accepted in a court of law and prove that the chain of command or that its existence is the same as what it was when it was found, that it hadn't changed, that it wasn't substituted and or altered or created, that it has a background. And all evidence has to have this background or it's not admitted in court or it's circumstantial. To me, that was the number one thing. How do you authenticate evidence given the fact that it's all over? It's 25 years, 20 years later. So all I really had was what was offered by the 26 volumes and the report and what I knew of other authors who have taken the time to talk to the same group of people. 
the same the same questions asked. And I came to find that, uh, like you're finding, the conflicts are everywhere. Uh, one of one of the things I, I do on the forums, I ask politely, is to please post a, an item of evidence that is real, that is actually incriminates Oswald, and that can actually be proven to be a, a, a quality, authentic piece of evidence. And I, I personally have yet to find one. <laughs> Usually people bring up the backyard photograph as being perfect evidence. But I think when I had Paul uh, Blow on here, he was telling me about like, if you look at the backyard photograph and you think, who carries the pistol that they use to kill the cop? The rifle in the one hand and then the fair play for Cuba papers. I was like, that's all three things that would incriminate yourself. And I started thinking about, I was like, look, my generation likes to take a lot of photos with beers in their hands to show everyone that they're partying. But I was like, I've never seen like everyone with like a beer, a joint and everything else that would incriminate that you're going to post on Facebook. And this thing had all of it. It had everything that could incriminate him where I start going, I mean, is it true? Do we accept his statement and his interrogation saying that's me, but that's some, that's my face, but that's, that's not me. I mean, there's just so much about that that gets brought up because it does look very incriminating. And, and there's extermin. I mean, there's there's evidence outside of it. You talk to Marina and her story related to her taking photographs for the very first time in her life. Wind up being hard to believe that not only with this camera holding at your chest, looking down with a reversed image that she gets not one, not two, but three perfect shots perfectly in focus and doesn't remember having used the camera, doesn't remember how she used the camera. Um, okay, people forget, maybe maybe she made a mistake. Um, when they did a close analysis at the HSCA, there was an aerospace company, uh, this was brought up by a, a man from, from England, that when they did the analysis, <laughs> the excuse was, well, the line across his chin was only seen under high magnification and with contrast. Okay, well, how else are we going to see it? Um, you're talking about probably the best forgers in the world with either the mafia, the CIA, or the FBI. So why would we be able to see it easily? And why of all the things that incriminate Oswald, the Dallas policemen Rose and Stovall and Turner that's the one thing they didn't list in the inventory of things found in Irving. It's not listed anywhere. And they asked Stovall about that. And they said, well, that's in that miscellaneous prints and photos. That's what we meant. So you wrote down detailed analysis of his pubic hair, okay? You picked up blankets. You picked up any little pieces of soap you, uh, you inventory. Okay, there are 455 items supposedly that are inventoried and many, many more that weren't. And yet the photograph of him holding the rifle and a pistol is not an inventory. It's not written up as an inventory item. Two negatives are. Yeah, that's a little bit more <laughs> than just bad police work. That's just, there's, I mean, would you agree that there's either too little evidence or too much evidence in the whole Oswald did it scenario? I've heard both I, I, opinions yeah. on it. I think the idea, I think you, you make an interesting point. The fact that every bit of evidence, every bit of evidence incriminates Oswald is not even 
a thought in another direction. There's not even a gathering of anything that might lead in a different direction, even down to Mexico, even FDR, I mean, I'm sorry, um, Hoover of the FBI before, right around when they were putting out their, you know, Warren Commission document number one, basically said that I can't, I don't think we should come to the conclusion that Oswald did it alone because we don't know what happened in Mexico yet. We really have no idea given what they were told. So I think they went overboard and made sure every possible thing that was gathered and taken was incri uh, incriminating of Oswald, period. No argument. And, and because there was no cross-examination and no real detailed analysis of this evidence, it had to be accepted at face value. Well, it was even worse because with Oswald being dead, the Warren Commission could just go do anything without any rights of a person, basically, when it goes and looking at the background or just labeling them as this or that. I mean, everything would be accepted at face value with no, I guess, resistance besides maybe some the mother, um, Oswald's mother a little bit. But even then, it's like you, you, your investigation has no limits now because you can just go in and you can tack anything you want on. You can say you chewed bubble gum at the store. I mean, there's just a lot of things about the official story that just seem like a lot, like shooting a president and then going and killing a cop and then going to a, a theater where it was like, I mean, that's just to me, I would go home and like maybe take a poop or something. I, I hate to say it like that, but I mean, it's a lot, man. Like, that's a big day. You can go home and take a nap or something. But he's going apparently he's on a bus. He's off the bus. He's getting he gives up his taxi and then he goes over here. Then he kills a cop and then he runs to a theater. Then he goes, throws a punch. I mean, his gun worked 20 minutes ago. Didn't work again. I mean, there's a lot of things where you start going, how much of how much is involved? If that's the FBI, if that's the CIA, if that's Dallas police. And then when it boils down to the official mouth of the Warren Commission. I mean, there's a lot of things that people kind of look at when it goes to law or when it goes to government. They go, oh, that's their job. They'll do the investigation, right? I was like, well, people make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes are on purpose. Sometimes things end up happening or things get missed and they got to find a way to cover it up. So it's all wrapped up tight. I mean, that's not crazy to say. Let's let's talk real quick about that tip of thing, um, because John Armstrong and I are doing a paper on uh, the wallets. And what was so important about the um, evidence against Oswald being the man who shot Tippett, supposedly, was the fact that a wallet was found at the Tippett scene by a man named Croy. It was given to Croy by someone he doesn't know who in turn gave it to uh, Captain Westbrook. It's on film. We've seen the film, black and white up. film of them looking at mm. the wallet, pointing to it, things like that. All right, so there's one wallet at the scene of the Tippett murder. When they arrested him and were driving him to the station, Bentley said, and, and Gerald Hill says they took his wallet out of his back pocket and found a Lee Oswald identification. Okay, now you go into the evidence from the Warren Commission and there are two wallets, a red one found in Irving and a brown one found in Irving. That's it. There are no arrest wallets. There is no wallet found at the Tippett scene. There's only identification, which the Dallas police took photos of and described as being found in the wallet at one of Oswald's homes. I believe. I even believe in their testimony, they'd never even really brought it up. I think someone asked them a question about finding a wallet, and then they added on, like, oh, yeah, we found a wallet, too. I'm like, wouldn't that be one of your first things, like one of the biggest finds of him putting him at that crime scene? 
Exactly. Not only it's and and what happens, we come to find out, is Westbrook basically brings that wallet. The arrest wallet shows up also at Dallas Police Department. And all of a sudden, we're trying to follow where the A.J. Heidel, the Alec James Heidel, and the Heidel with his photograph, his three pieces of identification, how do they become part of all this? Where do they come from? I mean, at the Tippett scene, they specifically ask about Heidel. So Barrett, who's the FBI um, agent who talks about this, says, they asked about, do I know who Lee Oswald is? No. Do you, I know who Alec Heidel is? No. I didn't see the stuff in the wallet, but it seems pretty obvious that's what they were talking about and asking me about. Okay. So <laughs> we also have Croy signing a note, signing a picture that was given to Bentley of the Tippett murder scene of the car, basically saying, and Croy writes, and this is where the wallet, a wallet was found which is the only physical piece of evidence we have that actually says a piece of wallet was there because the, the wallet that was filmed while they say it was Tippett, you really can't tell where it is. I mean, there is no direct you know, evidence that says that's where they were showing it and that's where they were doing it. So um, whereas with the, the jacket, for example, you could see it was in the parking lot as the cop was holding it up. And you had an idea of where it was. Um, Westbrook is involved in a lot of this. Westbrook was the captain of personnel. Okay. Gerald Hill worked for him that day. Gerald Hill was at every location where something happened. Westbrook was at every location where something happened that day. Westbrook, captain of personnel, didn't bother calling Tippett's family to tell them what happened. So they didn't learn about it on television, which is the way they did. So here's this captain of personnel who, after the, his stint at the Dallas Police Department, goes to work for the CIA in Vietnam, who's everywhere. I would say coincidence. No, I'm just kidding. That, that's, I'm trying to think of it how like a viewer is like listening to it. And it's either you're really shocked because you start realizing everything starts lining up a little bit too strange. And then, or you're just looking at it like, I mean, maybe, maybe. And then you're trying to rationalize it to yourself. And you really can't. I mean, it, the best thing, like I, we mentioned off air when I talked about Hale Boggs and he talks about to know if Hoover's wiretapping people, you'd have to have the FBI investigate the FBI. And it's like, when you're looking at evidence, I mean, if you look at like, if you're thinking the military did, it like i think i think a lot of people start to think that because there's so much stuff that just doesn't match up whether it's i mean we don't know where kennedy's brain is i know they say robert kennedy got it but there's just a lot of things that just manipulation of evidence wise that only the government can really have their hands in and you kind of look at like i mean it's not crazy to think like obviously the investigation is going to point which where's the point the most away from? And that's from the government. It only goes to Oswald. It even has mob notes to it. And I'm like, well, you got to think of where it's not pointing. And that's from Joe Green. And Joe Green says, you got to look at the military industrial complex. But that right there will get people to start rolling their eyes at the whole thing. And I think if you look at like, I mean, we got, we're going to talk about Mexico City, but if we examine the rifle, I mean, a lot of that, that people that saw it there that called it a different rifle then eventually it changed forms into a manly kirk arcano i mean you can listen to the live reports of news broadcasters speculating kennedy's still alive he's being rushed to the hospital and it's they found a rifle and they so a lot of that could be reporting error yeah but 
nobody mentions that Roger Craig was like six inches away from the gun when they had it. I'm like, you could read the side of the code or whatever the number is on the side of it to know what exactly what it is. And he stood with his uh, opinion on the rifle and what it was when he called it out all the way to the very end. That really, what surprised me most about that specific call out, uh, both Craig, um, but even more so was um, Boone and, and Weitzman who both wrote affidavits that, that afternoon or the, the following day, and both specifically called it out as a Mauser 7.65 millimeter rifle, even though Day supposedly was standing there and said, it says right here, 6.5 and, and made in Italy and all these things. So I did a little bit of research about what was what and how I could find that. And I did find that a Mauser obviously looks a lot like the Carcano, no doubt. But if you mount a scope, on, a, on the Mauser that matches, you cover up the Mauser sign. <laughs> you can't see it. Um, so how does Craig see Mauser unless the thing didn't have a scope? And we both know that Day walks out of the building with a scoped rifle. Now I've done analysis of that photograph and it's a very clear, very large photograph. Um, in one of my articles, uh, the markings the 6.5 or whatever you're supposed to have in terms, it's it's not on the rifle. There are about four or five different areas of the rifle just from that photograph that don't match the rifle and evidence. So whether the rifle and evidence, see, I mean, the, the, the provenance of this rifle and where it gets and how it gets and the conflicts, the work I did on the rifle proved pretty much without a shadow of a doubt that on the evening of the 22nd when Dolan of the FBI is in Chicago at Kleins. They don't have the information necessary to find the rifle. They have a letter. They have investigations and reports that say a N2766 was shipped and a C2767 was shipped. That's what they shipped to Kleins. So, okay. <laughs> Where's the C two seven six six? We don't we don't have that. We don't have any data until the twenty fourth from the FBI, and the FBI writes another little memo that says yes, that's the the C two seven six six came from Italy. We understand, and it was sold from Kleins or sold from uh, Feldsatz Crescent to Kleins, and that doesn't say anything. So they found microfilm the night of the assassination over Friday night that supposedly had the order. And they found this by looking at order numbers. And the fact that someone ordered it and sent a, a, a money order in for it. They didn't look for who sent us rifles. And we have a list of all those. We have a list of all the rifles we've ever received. Why don't we look to see, they said Crescent sent it to us. Why don't we look on all the Crescent orders? They, they didn't do that. They automatically, it took them hours and upon hours upon hours to find a microfilm of an order with an envelope. Okay, how did they find it? Well, it matched the C2766. Okay, but they didn't know about that rifle until two days later. 
They didn't know that anybody mailed it to them for two days. What's the Warren Commission like critic, like the people that come from the church or the Warren Commission? Um, what's their rebuttal to that? There, there is no rebuttal. I mean, there's there's nothing to say. You you know, that not only was Dolan and two other FBI agents there all night with Klein and a guy named Michael Skybor, and this guy, Michael, kept a uh, a master log of all the incoming rifles and their serial numbers. And he matched that to the VC number. That's how they figured this out, was that the VC had a number and that matched back to the C number. And there is one page or two pages of documents that show all these serial numbers matched to the VC numbers, except that the top right of this order is a different order number. It's not the right order. Yeah. So you have 100 rifles. It's my contention that Klein's never got 100 rifles of this type ever. So because so we never see them. Is it, we never I, see them. <laughs> We've never seen an order fulfilled by one. When the FBI asked Klein's for rifles like that, they sent them rifles with different serial numbers. So all those hundred rifles that are supposedly in that shipment, five of them have the same serial number as the rifle sent from Montreal, which was another century international arms, was the name of the company up in, 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 in Montreal that mailed out a rifle and uh, Hoover even wrote a note about it. He said, what about this other rifle 2766? Well, they listed 700 rifles in their order and not one of them had a prefix. Not one. This is the same company that provide the pistol to Seaport that ultimately is used supposedly to kill Tippett by Oswald again. The, the, the biggest conflicts in the rifle even being asked as a question is, how did he get it? They said I mean, they ordered, the ordered, it through, ordered it through ordered the mail. But okay, what did it do uh, the mail? Tom Graham was on here and he mentioned about and he did exclusive like specific stuff on the mailbox and the, the AJ Hyde. I mean, he ordered a rifle under a fake name and then it gets delivered to an address box marked with not his real delivered. name. Yeah, see the delivered? problem with it being delivered is that I and I have the documentation, as a matter of fact, from the time period. If a box was too big for a PO box, you'd get a little notice that said. Here's a postcard. You have a box waiting for you. It's too big for your PO. I mean, it's easy enough. And the rule that says if it's addressed to someone other than who can get mail at that location, it gets returned. So either it was returned or it was put in the back and in the PO box would have been a little, little note, a little flyer that said your stuff was too big. Come claim it. None of that happened. Where's the five foot box that it came in? So you don't I think mean, he why, ordered the rifle at all? Home? How did he get it home from the post office? He took it in the five foot box. What did he what did he do? How did he, you know, just getting it, picking it up is one piece of it. Now you have to get it home. And then what? He's in Dallas. Then he's in New Orleans. Then he's in Mexico. Then he's back to Dallas, uh, Irving again. And all this time, uh, Ruth Payne. I one of my <laughs> one of my slides. One of my slides from my. I was just about to say it's in her garage. She has it. Ruth in a Payne says eleven times in a row, 
no, I have never seen or do not know of the existence of that rifle in her testimony. No, it was not in my garage. No, I never saw it in the garage. No, I never saw him with it. No, I did not know about that rifle until the night of the assassination. She unloaded the car with Marina and it wasn't there. So are we saying he's traveled to Mexico with a rifle? I mean, at least that's what the Warren Commission is trying to say. Where did it go? Where did this rifle go? And when you talk about the Morinsheld and the wife, in his testimony, he claims they left in the beginning of 1963, January, that they saw the Oswalds at the end of 1962 and, and, and then left for Haiti. He didn't get the rifle until March. How do they see it? He can time travel, obviously. Of course. That's how he got a job at the book depository there a month uh, before. That was, yeah, that was that was another Wesley thing. Wesley through the sister, through a thing, through the sideways, through Ruth. Yeah, it was very interesting how he chose not to work at some place. There are other reasons for him to have possibly gone to work at the Texas School Book Depository. I don't know. I'm sure you've had, you might have had on your show before, the people have talked about the gun running activities and the other kinds of activities that were going on through the Texas School Book Depository. Um, it's possible he was just going there to observe, find out what was going on for the FBI. Who knows? I, you know, kind of conflict a little bit with his Cuban, anti-Cuban, pro-Cuban stances that he took to try to ferret out lefty, left, you know, left leaning people here in the United States. Again, now that, that kind of dovetails for me. I mean, you know, there's so many subjects. The rifle itself and the evidence related to it is fairly easily stricken down. Yeah, well, people bring up the fact that they caught a palm print or something on the rifle. And I said, well, you can watch the video where the guys, no gloves, just handing the rifle and then dusting it for fingerprints. And I'm like, there's no chain of custody on the rifle. That's the one thing we don't have chain of custody on. Even with the magic bullet, there's a giant kind of gap in the time there when it comes to somebody being able to time travel or maybe they got a time wrong but there's an issue there but the rifle i think sebastian latona if i'm not mistaken had the rifle for a couple of hours i don't know what he did with it but then he turned it in he's supposed to go directly from the book depository voting straight to the police department to submit it into evidence and there's a gap in time and i'm like you can sit in traffic for like six or seven hours sure but i don't think that's what was going on you know like I mean, how far is the police department from the book depository building? Not very far at all. And um, it was FBI agent Odom who drives Day back to the Dallas Police Department with the rifle, supposedly. And then there's a man who inserts himself into the into the whole thing, a man named Nate Pinkston. And Nate Pinkston um, claims to have been involved in the finding of where the rifle was was purchased and how all that worked. Uh, and if you read his stuff, um, he has nothing to do with clients. He's talking about a whole different company entirely. And it conflicts with Harry Holmes's BS story about how he finds or how they find the stub that doesn't exist in evidence also, which is amazing to me. That's another amazing thing to me. I mean, you have a man who's in charge of the post office there helping with all of these investigations. And he claims that 
a, st a stub for that particular money order is found. And that's how they find where he ordered the rifle. Except we're never offered the stub. <laughs> we're never offered the evidence. So knowing that there is no evidence, but that's what he says. And <laughs> I come to find that the Warren Commission shows the finding of the money order at least three times in three different locations. And that's never been submitted to the archive. Nobody's ever came up with a money order, been able to find it. It's just going off someone. Oh, door. no, the money order itself, they have. They have a money order, which is the money order at that time was three parts. The first part was the money order. The second part was the receipt for the customer. And the third part stayed in the book as the book was used. So you had a, a permanent record of the money order. That book with that money or that money order would have come from doesn't exist. Even though Harry Holmes tells the story that it was found on the stub and that's how they found where the, 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 the rifle was ordered. There's a conflicting story with a man uh, named Harold Marks and Robert Jacobs and, and a number of FBI agents that go to Alexandria and go to Virginia to the post office main repository and printing area. And within about a half hour, 45 minutes, they literally say things like they need to fire up the computers to be able to find where they can find this money order. And sometime later that evening, they find the money order, supposedly. <laughs> okay, it's given to these men who in turn give it to the FBI who in turn gives it to the Secret Service attorney is the man's name who gives it to the Secret Service. Except the Secret Service writes a report and they say they found it in Kansas City earlier that day. This is like trying to narrow down Oswald in Mexico City, man. There's just too much where I'm like, who do you see? That's the okay, thing. Is let me let me let me let me finish it all yeah. up together then. FBI Dolan, FBI agent Dolan. In the Foreign Commission, there are back-to-back -back reports. I forget the C the CE numbers right now, but there are back-to-back -back reports. The first report says that he takes the microfilm from Waldman at Klein's and gives him a receipt and brings the brings the microfilm to the FBI. The very next page, signed by all three men, is that Walden keeps the microfilm and locks it into a safe and says, if you ever need it or ever need to use it, you just come and call me and we'll take care of it. This is on the same day, on the same night, with the same people. It's almost exactly the same report, if you look at it, except they're not the same report. We come to find that Dolan made copies of the microfilm and gave a copy back to Waldman. Where's that? <laughs> so Waldman has a copy of the microfilm that was used to print the order form and the envelope, except he took it and he didn't take it. So if he didn't take it and he did take it, how did they get a print of the, of the order? When you lay it out like that, it, it starts to be like, oh, God, you start to kind of see the, I guess, the the conspiracy. And these are reports that they give us. That's the I thing mean, is it's, the it's, best part about our government is that, sadly, I know the document destruction thing, but for the love of God, they print a lot of paper and a lot of documents. So I get their rationale, but 
behind destroying documents now. But that's the most incriminating thing is that sometimes you find documents in a person's basement that had maybe nothing to do with the assassination. They were just like, yeah, I found them at a yard sale. And they're like really key documentation, which to me, all this is historical. But the amount of stuff that starts coming out later, it's kind of like Ruth Payne's garage, like where they kept finding evidence. That's like that with the government at all. There was just more stuff that came out later and later that they started tacking on. And I start going, I mean, it's not above the guy. The least they can do is they create a fake document or something like that. There's a lot of misinformation that went on during the Cold War of things. But I mean, the rifle, the biggest example or the biggest point that ever gets brought up is that, and I, it's a point I use, which is if you find three shell casings on the ground and one was apparently trying to reload in the chamber, I was like, if you just watch the president's head explode, why the hell are you reloading? And then why would you like, did I, I get it hiding it, but there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense how he got it even in there. And I don't think Oswald, I think it was there before and it was just kind of set up. I mean, we know that from looking at documentation with the people that were in the book depository building, who was handling the rifle. There's a lot of things that are very peculiar where you start looking into Dallas police like what's their back history and some of them had a police i think one of the guys had a police arrest record that was like way higher than anything that would be possible to have in a year so you start going i mean is this bad police work well fritz fritz was very his his conviction rate uh captain fritz was ridiculously high uh somewhere around 98% something like that um and as we did more research into the how did ruby really get down into the basement to kill oswald which we're we just we're working on writing right now um which wasn't by the way by the main ramp <laughs> he didn't walk down the ramp um at all you think they led him uh, to the back there is a side door there's a door that faces the building where the western union offices um and it's unlocked usually they asked westbrook about this many years later he says we, we didn't even look at it uh not only did they look at it the house select committee noticed that the fbi dallas police did not even bother considering it as an option they didn't look at it at all and if you look at it and and see where this is the the way this works you have the municipal building you have the courthouse building and in between almost overlapping each other is where that that tunnel is that underground ramp and area is and the 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 elevator in fritz's office goes down to the jail office right there all right so in the old building on the third floor you used to be able to walk across from one building to the other because there were openings and if you were in the third in the house building on the third floor you were overlooking the parking lot and the western union building and could see if ruby was walking to you and walking over to you <laughs> you walk in that door <laughs> you go down the stairs and now you're in the basement parking lot what most people don't are not aware of is that about quarter to 11 about 11 o'clock before he was brought down Dean and Putnam and Pierce, a couple of the Dallas policemen, cleared the parking lot of policemen. They brought them out of the basement police, out of the basement and put them into traffic control up on the streets. So between 11 and 11.30, from that side door, that entrance in the basement, to the ramp, to the railing, to where Oswald was, nobody was there. 
Everybody was facing that way <laughs> with the cameras and the lights and everything was facing that way. And then if you notice and you look at the, 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 the video of it, a car has to come through. They move everybody out of the way and the car goes up the main ramp. And as the car goes up the main ramp, the three men in that car are asked, do they see Oz? Do they see Ruby? Because it's within a minute of when they bring Oswald down. And all three of them say, no, there's no Ruby, no Ruby walking down. The man Vaughn who was up there, no Ruby walking down and no, nobody there. Um, we come to learn that the one person assigned to guard the entire parking lot and that doorway where uh, Ruby probably came in was a guy named Kenneth Croy again. And Kenneth Croy has an amazingly poor story for that day and where he did. He decided after the assassination on Friday to just go home, see his wife and go have some lunch. That was his day. During How does the that seem crazy? That was exactly what I would do. It's like Oswald going to a theater after. I was like, dude, just go home. Take a well, nap see, now, with Oswald in the theater, again, if, if you know, there's the torn dollar bills that he had with him. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. that That's that's a spycraft thing yeah. that, that could be. Uh, a lot of, uh, I've been under the impression, as I've done my research, that Shelly, um, I actually think that there's a picture of Shelly at the International Trademark when Oswald is handing out um, the flyers. There's that famous picture that that Cruz said, or someone said was Cruz's father, or uh, something along those lines. And uh, there's a handful of people all in white shirts and, and, and black ties, and they're all Cuban except for Oswald. Um, and if you look at this picture, in the back right, there's a man. He's obscured by a few of them. He, he looks exactly like Bill Shelley. And that would create a tie in New, in New Orleans months and months before, which makes very little, it's very hard to come to grips with in that two months later, he's now working for Shelley at the Texas School Book Depository. That, that seems a little too much of a coincidence to me. Now, it might not be him. I could be wrong. Um, I've had a lot of people look. I'd love for you to take a look. <laughs> It really does look like Shelley is is in New Orleans at the same time as as Oswald. So, uh, where were we with? It, we, it definitely changes. Like if you look at like uh, one area that I found pretty interesting, and it's what I've been getting interested in recently, which is uh, looking at a lot of old footage. Um, you could look at the Dallas police. One of the uh, cops during an interview talked about how Oswald, when he was arrested in a the theater, he had a shotgun. Now, I think everyone can agree that there was no shotgun that was ever reported there. And then there's, a, I think, a, another news special a couple of days later where there's one cop on the guy's right and there's a cop on the guy's left and one of them has crutches. And he talked about, yeah, he goes, you know, I see the officer fighting with Oswald and then I went to go jump over the seats and I rolled my ankle. And then the guy goes, yeah, we can tell because you have the crutches right behind you. And in my head, I mean, this is obviously my own speculation here, but I go, you kind of clear that for a shot. Like they noticed that the guy, if you're really going to ramp it up and do a media thing about it, you would want to put all that on display. And the thing that would debunk that theory is that there's the guy who has the black eye or the mark on his face where he got hit. And he's his the side that's not showing is the one with the black eye. So I'm like, you would think if you're going to show it off to the cameras, you would make sure you're turned. To, so that's not showing, but the crutches are right there. And the, well, the crutches was a real story. The crutches okay. was Paul Bentley. Yeah, Paul Bentley um, did turn his ankle. 
the, the, the famous picture out front of Oswald being arrested, he's being dragged away, and, and a guy named Bob Carroll has a gun in his hand, the, the pistol in his hand. So it's Carroll was in the car, and Hill was in the car, and Westbrook, and well, not Westbrook was in the back, um, but Hill and Bentley. And yes, Bentley, after he goes in to the police department, um, he talks about his, his ankle, and, and they actually take him over to Parkland um, to, to get fixed up and you see him on crutches coming back to the Dallas police. So the, yeah, the important, the important part of that, what I was trying to get to was, uh, the Lee Harvey Oz, the, the one being arrested in the balcony that nobody ever talks about. There were two people in the theater that were arrested. When I heard that, I was like, wait, what? And then I think even in a document says Lee Harvey or Lee Oswald was arrested in balcony. And I'm like, that's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of confusion there already. I mean, even Dallas police given wrong information are trying to ramp up a story too. I mean, if you look at Fritz and his arrest record, you could just point that, look at the Dallas police and being like, how do we make ourselves look good? Oh, he had a shotgun. He fired off a couple of shots. Yeah, you know, no, he did. Yeah. yeah speculating. <laughs> well, they also have Bernard Hare, who was a, one of the, um, uh, vendors, one of the store owners who was in the back alley there. And he swears to this day that he saw Oswald come out the back door and get driven away. Um, another man, there was a, a lot of people in the back or in that uh, alley. They actually found a running truck when they arrived in the back alley. Just to pick up, I don't say a whole lot about it, but they just mention it. <laughs> were any of these pursued like people that were speaking out like that like i know with the rambler i think you know roger craig got a couple of interviews on television but then even in some of the statements some of the statements a few people talked about their testimonies didn't match what they said to the Warren commission whether it was like a, and then people even use roger craig's statement of him saying that the a different color of the rambler and people go see he's not consistent i was like oh. yeah there's a bunch there, of stuff there, in the there, Warren commission that's not consistent that everyone just tends to look over there, there's something about the Warren Commission documents and especially the testimony that I, a lot of people are not aware of. Um, the commissioners themselves were allowed to change the testimony. They were allowed to cross out what people said and write in what they wanted to. Now, take that in for a second. If they did not like what was being said. Alan Dulles did this to a man named Cadigan, which is, he was the FBI uh, fingerprint expert. And Cadigan accidentally in his testimony mentioned how hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, four or 500 items were at the FBI laboratories that weekend. And it wasn't supposed to be known that the FBI took all the evidence. They were only to supposedly have taken it the following week, remember the following week on the 26th, they photographed all of the stuff. And then this FBI little by little took again, all of the evidence, but they had taken it over the weekend also and gave it back. They took about 250 pieces of evidence and returned 455 pieces of evidence. Okay, let that set for a sec. <laughs> Adding and hold on, adding and changing certain things that are said because you didn't like it. I mean, is okay. So yeah, the if it Cadigan mentioned that there were these they were desilverizing and silverizing and inking hundreds and hundreds of things all the weekend, and we were working hard about it. And what you see is Dulles cross the whole damn thing out and then writes the words, "This is a fingerprint issue." And then you go to the finished published Warren Commission testimony of FBI Cadigan. 
And there it is. All the stuff he said is gone. And the next sentence is, this is a fingerprint issue. It, 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 they changed it. That's why, Craig, these people were right. They didn't, when they went to sign their, their testimony, they had to fix it in some cases. And a lot of times they wouldn't change it for them. They wouldn't fix it. That really kind of open. I mean, it opens the doors to a lot of people's eyes when it comes into uh, manipulation of evidence. But see, that's the thing is that there's not a lot of people like when it comes to ballistic evidence, there's not a lot of people with medical evidence. When you say something and it gets really into like the language and the terms they use to talk about ballistics or medical, the general public doesn't know that. So they don't know to question a lot of things. I don't even really know the full medical evidence thing. When people start getting into different types of reactions and neurons and all this type of stuff, my head just kind of starts glazing over a little bit. But when you look at like the factor of like manipulating the evidence that they're releasing to the public, I mean, when you see a document, that's even for me, when I'm going to check something, I look at a document, I go, I have this document that can verify this. But if you're able to cross the whole thing out and then write what you want, I mean, it's even worse than redacting half the damn page. I mean, even when they're transferring documents in, I get mad because one's upside down. You got to look like you read it through a mirror or something. And it's like, that's an obstruction of justice. And then creating your own idea of like, no, this didn't happen. This is what happened. I mean, that's forging history in a sense as well, too. Which is why we kind of go back around to when I when I got into it, I, I started the beginning hoping I could prove something, hoping I could prove that uh, the single bullet theory was really the silly bullet theory, okay? And that certain things couldn't happen. And people had already done this already. I mean, I came into this in the 80s, um, late 80s, almost 90. Um, people have been doing it for 20 years, so 25 years. So there was a lot out there already. I mean, but trying to get through Weisberg stuff, is it's just not easy. You know, it's hard to read. Uh, I'm more of an internet guy. I like to, I, I can search and double search. I'm pretty, pretty good at searching and finding what I want to find even as long as it's out there, <laughs> as long as it's there, of course. Uh, luckily, I had a friend who digitized a lot of Malcolm Blunt's a, a NARA collection related to Mexico for me, stuff that's not online. Um, uh, my friend John, again, Armstrong, he and Blunt used to go to the archives and spend weeks every day, eight, 10, 12 hours a day there, copying documents, handling evidence, He's the one that told me that the Minox camera at the archives is filled with cement. Filled with cement? Cement. It cannot open. It's unbelievably heavy and filled with cement. He also told me that the microfilm case that they gave, this is the microfilm supposedly with the order on it from Kleins. The box is there. there there's no film. Film's gone. This is why I don't trust the archives. I mentioned this to Tom Samaluk. He's like, you can trust the archives. I was like, hold on a second. If you're talking about gov government covering up evidence or media manipulation, any of that type of stuff when it comes to evidence in the case being manipulated, I was like, you're giving documents over to the, I was like, did you take pictures of it? Like on your cell phone, just pull it out real quick. You know, take a couple for yourself. You know, something you could post on Instagram. I don't care. Facebook, share it. I don't, I don't care. But it's that danger of bringing it to the archives because I've heard it from a couple researchers that said the archives is just a loop. 
you're just going around in circles dealing with something and something. And because there is some incriminating stuff. I mean, to me, organized crime is very incriminating when it comes to just understanding your government's willing to make a deal with the mafia. Considered every idea I've been pitched in movies has been that their FBI is the heroes and the organized crimes, the enemies. And I think that's very revealing about your government and a bunch of other documentation that we've had as well, too. But then the stuff that they don't want to reveal, the stuff they deem like we have to take this away, and that's my danger with the archives, that has to be 10 times as bad as, you know, this. I mean, brain, I mean, even David Lifton's best evidence when it comes into a missing ambulance that goes missing for 45 minutes or so. I've heard that from William Law. That sounds so insane. And I'm already in the boat of like, yeah, military industrial complex, all that. But even here, and I'm like, oh my God, how does that? Uh, I really don't want that to be true. And there is a real fear. I mean, do you trust the archives? Do you think that? I, I, I think where I was, where I'm going here is the fact that um, you can only trust the documents and evidence to show you how things were covered up. You're not going to find a document that says this person did that or this person did. You're going to find that. Many, many, many of the CIA were military in origin and were actually on loan to the CIA. Many, 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 which, which I found interesting. Um, you talk about photographs. The Dallas police took photographs of all this evidence, except the FBI claims that most of the photographs and most of the film was so poorly done and poorly exposed that we had to throw them away. So we really don't have a list of or pictures of the original group of evidence that was sent to the FBI. Again, it was a big deal for them to cover up the fact that Vincent Drain and the rest of the FBI people that night and over Friday, over Saturday night or Friday night, took all the evidence. I mean, they took all of it and returned more of it. I mean, returned things that were never there to begin with, like the stamp kit which has all kinds of incriminating stuff all over it. Um, another question was the, he, he, he collected stamps. Where's his stamp collection? Isn't that an intelligence thing too, a stamp collection? Somewhat, somewhat. Okay. He talked about uh, micro dots under stamps. Yeah. So that, that was there, but you're right. I came to the conclusion that we can't trust the evidence to tell us what happened, but it can, if you really feel like you were correct in assuming that there was some level of conspiracy and cover-up involved in this, that the evidence will show you what, what they did. And they will show you how they tried to organize a cover-up of the key data and key information and incriminate Oswald. That's why you go back to those conclusions of the Warren Commission, and they're just so thin and so lame. I mean, they're just, you really have to look at them and what they tried to prove. And did they prove any of them? Or was the conclusion already had 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 the evidence built into it? You know, Oswald was on the third, on the sixth floor with the gun, with the thing, and did the stuff. He couldn't have been on, a, uh, uh, he couldn't have seen Sylvia Odio couldn't have gone to Dallas that time because he was on a bus to Mexico. Well, okay, well, what if he wasn't on a bus, bus to Mexico? Who says he was on a bus to Mexico? Well, the FBI does. Okay, <laughs> we're going to believe that? Just because they said it? Let's go look. You know, Mary Farrell 
has a huge repository of, uh, of, of documents. Huge. So we can find these documents. We can see where they did the investigation. And as I did this, I really began to see how the FBI organized the evidence to simply support the story being told. And I believe they did this because Oswald really was with a couple of Cubans driving to Sylvia Odio's house. <laughs> he did stop in Austin on the way up there. He did go and see Odio on Thursday evening in Dallas when he's supposed to be on a bus to Mexico. He did go and was seen that weekend at the sports room shooting. One Was it Lee? Was it Harvey? I, you know, who knows? I mean, who knows who it was? One flaw with the Warren Commission, like church people, they always talk about when it comes into Hoover and how he said that Oswald wasn't in Mexico. I mean, that seems like if you're going to pin him as this guy that's like all over the place trying to make deals and seem like he's going more leaning more towards foreign rather than domestic than taking a shot at the president would seem more likely. But that Hoover saying it wasn't Oswald in Mexico has been I mean, it's more sounds more conspiracy than it does really on the basic, in my opinion, because then if you have photos of the guy and you could just say, yeah, the photos matched. It's him. He was making deals. He wanted to tear up his U.S. citizenship. He wanted to go back to Russia. You could just put it all on that. But then you make a statement saying it wasn't Oswald and we verified that, which means that they had another thing that they were trying to get. And they knew that that would be conflicting evidence if they tried to. I mean, what are your thoughts on the whole Mexico situation? Yeah, I, I don't I, you know, I've done a lot. It's of not good for the Mexico. general public to talk about Mexico because you'll get lost in like a haze of smoke. I'm still lost in it. It, 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 it gets it, it gets it all started with. Well, Mexico starts on October the 8th or the 7th. On October the 7th, David Atlee Phillips arrives in Mexico, at, in, in Mexico at the, to work at the, uh, the CIA um, outpost there. On the 8th, we get the first report that someone was heard on a transcript. It's an internal CIA to CIA report that says, a Lee Oswald was heard. We don't, you know, we're not sure who he is. So I went back and this was on for, it was heard September the, whatever it was, September 27th, September 28th. So I thought, well, wait a second. <laughs> they do reports contemporaneously. They were listening to Russians, Czechs, Poles. They were listening to everybody down there in Mexico. Do we have a report? a summary report of the information that they gleaned from their tapping and from their information for the month of September. Wouldn't that include, oh, by the way, Lee Oswald, we have an American here who said he's, he wants to go to the Russian embassy and he wants to, something. Okay, well, the October 8th summary report of what happened in September does not include anything like that does not include any Russian talking about having met Oswald, does not talk about any of it. There are no contemporaneous reports that discuss Oswald being in Mexico. There are no contemporary, contemporaneous reports that Oswald received a rifle in the mail. You don't suppose his mail was being watched? 
all through 1963? I mean, they surveilled him for up to four years and then dropped it the week four of the assassination. Years. They were constantly watching him. They had people in post offices knowing when he working, when he moved, knowing that he got the worker, knowing he got the militant, which really doesn't make a lot of sense because those two documents or two papers conflict with each other, which is another little problem with the backyard story. You wouldn't have had both of those papers. They, they, don't, they don't work together. It's one or the other. So, but in, in, in any case, um, where was it? <laughs> We're talking about Mexico. Yes. Just the fact that um, a letter by the 10th of October goes to the FBI, the State Department, and the Navy about this man, Lee Henry Oswald. And that's where a lot of people think there was a marked card project in process what actually happened down in mexico i don't know it's i don't think my... we're ever going to know i'm pretty sure those are probably some of the classified documents that's a lot of mexico and i've heard from plenty of historians that study just intelligence not jfk stuff at all but mexico like a lot of people forget there's propaganda and film about mexico and i kind of use it i was like if you look at like russia if you look at like latin america why there's films about latin america being a horrible country and all this type of stuff i go well look what the fbi was doing in ecuador and all these other places and what was the intelligence agencies doing in mexico i mean it's a great way to get people never to want to go there if you're doing something over there and we funneled a lot of money and i have receipts of money that was transferred over to mexico but no explanation of why so there's a lot it's not like five thousand dollars like a hundred thousand dollars like it's a good amount of money and there's i think are probably what we're never really going to know about unless we get those documents which is mexico city was an intelligence thing i mean and that's the thing i mean i, I read bill simpich's work uh, state secret is, is is a wonderful piece of work to, to 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 get into and delve into what may and very I, I don't know if i could say very likely i just it seems to me that it's it's very possible that what he writes and how he writes and what they were trying to do there may not have had anything at all to have done with um the kennedy assassination whatsoever um but I think it got rolled into it so that the CIA, as Hoover says in his little handwritten letter in January, that they double-dealed Hoover. They knew that Oswald was on some trip for the FBI driving from New Orleans up to Dallas. Okay, They were going to deal with Odeo. His job was to infiltrate left, leftist organizations for the FBI and make, you know, and just let, keep an eye on people. Who's in support of Castro? That's why he would send out, you know, the FBCC pro-Castro stuff while being involved with Bannister and others who was anti Castro. So well, that's what that, I think. What the was... Fair Play for Cuba committee was just a. It's just like just bring out activists, see who the communists were, rise them up. Whoever wanted to join, like it's just like um the Rational Observer was a fake magazine that was created by the FBI and lo loaded onto college campuses. And if you talk, if you know Paul's work, Paul Blow, he mentions a lot of the stuff about the Fair Play for Cuba committee. But they had Fair Play for Vietnam. They had a bunch of these things, and a lot of these were infiltrated by FBI agents because they were keeping tabs on communists, and it was basically set up to fail. I mean. I'm not saying it's a front or anything. I'm just saying that they did the same thing with the Black Panther Party and Pro, And that goes even deeper. And this is like crazy, but you can read the documentation on this. They sent letters to the wives of the Black Panther Party member leaders saying that their husbands were having affairs with teenagers. 
And it's like, oh God, you guys went so low. You went to their wives. Like, how dare you? And that's like a so it lets you know like what's the guideline or what's the goal, what, what's the end goal thing here? And they keep pushing it. They keep going farther and it shows you what extents they'll go to. And then I mean that video of Oswald handing out leaflets and doing all that. To me, I'm just like, God, that just seems so sketchy. Like I know there's a lot of like stuff where conspiracies go over a little bit too far over, but that's like, I mean, he smiled and waved at the camera and then he's given an interview later or whatever where he's talking about marxism and i'm just like this does not match anything that anybody is giving a good depiction on oswald where it makes it seem even crazier have you seen a photo that surfaced about his time in the military where it looks like lee harvey oswald standing in the back he's just standing there i don't know if you've seen that but i agree with greg parker on the autism thing that after seeing that photo i was like 100 percent no but i think it, I mean, it raises an interest a little bit rob was like is he just not want to sit down with people like i mean to me it just adds more into the mix of like i can't understand this guy's personality and it brings up into the aspect of the other oswalds i mean more obviously we know someone was using his name but you know when did we get the oswald that went over you know in the military and then come back and then is that a different one yeah, no, the, 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 the concept, I'm going to, uh, let me, let me finish up. I want to stay with Mexico just for a second before yeah. I go moving, moving away. Um, because the, the, the events happen pretty quick and most people aren't aware of a group of things or rather a, a, a bunch of things that Hoover did after the 10th of October and they got message that this was Oswald. And then they found out and listened to the tapes and did this stuff found it wasn't him at all. Hoover has um, had assets all through uh, the Western Hemisphere. This was set up in the early 40s by FDR when they were looking at what should they do to spy on people? What are we going to do? And one of the contracts or one of the responsibilities was given to the FBI uh, to a group called the SIS, which is a, a special section within the FBI that Hoover created simply to send people to different countries and do their spying. The contract with FDR ended in 1945. And at that point, Hoover wasn't going to recall all those people. <laughs> Hoover left them there and they became legates. They became the FBI representatives in those countries. The SIS was gone, but as much as the CIA had assets in Mexico to find out whether Oswald was there and tape people, so did the FBI. In some cases, better resources. So starting right at the end of October and all through November of 1963, Hoover has in excess of 25 assets looking for any sign Oswald was in Mexico, anywhere he went anything that they could hang their hat on. They even asked their FBI asset, Ochoa, who was the second in command at the Department of Interior, whether he knew Oswald had come in across the border. And he said no. Everyone, everyone he asked, I have these reports by uh, a man named Beck. Uh, there's four of them. And on November 4th, November 7th, uh, the middle of November, and then again, even after the assassination, they looked and they could not find any hide nor hair of Oswald being in Mexico City when, they, when the CIA said they were, which prompted Hoover to write a little note, in my opinion, in January, basically saying, I can't 
stand the double dealing of the CIA as it related to the fake Oswald Mexico trip. And you can find this fairly easy thing to find online. Um, Do you think it was a way that the FBI was trying to attack the CIA a little bit or the CIA was trying to attack the FBI or have them run on like a fool's errand? Because you see that a lot with the documentation. I think a misconception with a lot of people in the military industrial complex is they think that everybody works together. I mean, you can read through their archives and they're all talking trash on everybody. Like the FBI is talking trash on the CIA. So do you think that was like a... I wouldn't say a goose chase, but do you think that was a way to like get them to go and come? So up there's a question then for you, then Robbie. Um, Hoover knows that the CIA is lying about Oswald in Mexico, yet he spends months and months and months and fifteen, eighteen hundred documents. I think I found already supporting Oswald being in Mexico to help the CIA. Now, why would he do that? Why, why would Hoover back the CIA in documents? I mean, there's many, many, many documents, and some of them are, are just so poor. Some of them say he came down on this bus. Some of them said, oh, yeah, he did this. Oh, wait, we learned that that was wrong, and someone wrote his name on the bus passenger manifest. Oh, well, then that wasn't him. And they just drop it and move on to something else. I mean, the evidence falls away, falls away, falls away, yet there's never the question of why. Why do you tell us he's he did this only to say, all right, well, we're wrong. He did, he did this instead. I mean, they write this in the Warren Commission as although we believed initially that uh, he did not he did not go down there on this bus. He did not do these things. He went down there a different way. Anything they could say to support the fact that the CIA said he was down there. And then you have the wonderful story of Alvarado, who comes in a couple days after the assassination and says, Oswald talked to a black man with red hair yeah. and got $6,500 in cash. Now, now they said Apley he was Phillips, a fabricator. They said that in the documents that they used interrogation. I don't know if they I think in the, in the document specifically says they can revive old things from the Rockefeller Commission, which is mail. It's like mail intercepts. It's uh, LSD interrogation. It's a bunch of stuff. So they proved that his story was false because it was about a red hair. And then they used the word Negro that handed him like fifteen thousand dollars to go assassinate. 60, and, yeah, it was like six. Yeah. yeah. The thing about it was, is that that, yeah, they showed that none of that ever happened, okay? None of that ever happened. Alvarado was then deported back to Nicaragua with his, his boss, and there is a note basically from the CIA to themselves, hoping that maybe the FBI or someone in the CIA can give Alvarado something to do that doesn't get involved in too many other things because he's a good kid. You know, he was a asset. He was... There's another document that basically says that Alvarado was an a, a, a Nicaraguan a CIA asset. And Phillips used him. Phillips, he stuck to his story. He had the wrong date, kept saying the 18th rather than the 28th and the 17th, which is the day that Nagel went into the bank and shot the ceiling. Wait, Here, everything ties together. I haven't heard that before where he shot the ceiling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Richard Case Nagel. Uh, was um, I know Tom Samalock said he uh, saw him or whatever, and he he didn't think anything conspiracy with him. He said it was you know he made some statements and some things, but I don't know. He, he claims to have written a letter to Hoover, 
This is all through Dick Russell. So um, he claims, Nagel claims to have written a letter to Hoover explaining that um, there was going to be an assassination attempt uh, on Kennedy somewhere around the uh, 17th, 18th, and the second half of sep September. And after he wrote the letter, which was registered, he didn't keep a copy of it for some reason, obviously. Um, but he walks into a bank in San Antonio, fires two shots into the ceiling and sits down waiting to be arrested. And he was arrested and put into jail because <laughs> uh, he did not want to be anywhere where he could be accused of being involved in the assassination of Kennedy. He claims, Nagel, that his job was to get rid of Oswald before he killed Kennedy, but he didn't take the job. So Nagel, like Patrick Hemming, in my opinion, says a lot, a lot of things. They seem to have bits and pieces of truth in them, but I can't get beyond feeling that there's something wrong. Yeah. Especially with Hemming stuff. So don't know. I can't, you know, it's it's evidence. It's out there. It's it's why would that be? Why would these things need to happen? No, I like your approach to things because you kind of base it by like what you can kind of look at with a document too and kind of show that things don't match up, which I think is like a really smart way I, I try and ask for the documentation all the time and i try and i mean i had to chase down the story of who saw ruby visit santos traficante and the cuban prison realize he comes from one state but i just started putting a little bit more weight into it when you start realizing how would he know that ruby was in havana that didn't come out until later and there's like a bunch of things you kind of start going okay well there can be truth in a witness statement and i think the witnesses get shamed a lot and look i've talked to memory experts to talk about you can only really remember something if you had like war experience i mean clint hill i can't give an excuse for why he changed his opinion besides getting money for a new book or something. But there's a lot of people that never wanted any money, never wanted to even come out about it, that talk about things. And the people that put their jobs on the line, their business, their career, Gary Aguilar, Cyril Weck, a bunch of people, because they believe in something Abraham so Golden. Yeah. Went to, well, he just got pardoned by Biden recently. I mean, there are people that have lost giant chunks of their life researching into this. And thank God for leaving, you know, a, I guess a, a more accurate history than the one that's being repeated by the Warren Commission. I think even the HSCA gets a bad rep. Obviously, no investigation seems like they really did the job right, um, only because the HSCA, you know, I mean, Blakey went into it thinking that, you know, keep the reputation of these people as if they were alive. And I'm like, well, look, you got to go into their personal lives. You got to go into everything to be able to get the truth out if it's hidden back there. And then they are RB. I mean, they're still fighting with documents and they're way past when we're supposed to have them. So, the House Select Committee with, well, yeah, I mean, getting rid of Sprague. See, Sprague would have gotten through to things, I think. I really believe if you've read his 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 books uh, and his writings, um, we, we would have found out a lot more about Mexico and the fact that it was it was pretty much a, a, a false flag thing to get. In my opinion, it was basically to get Hoover and the FBI to back the fact that he was down there. And keep him out of let let Hoover know that they could do pretty much anything they wanted to because Hoover was using this man. Hoover and the FBI somehow were getting information from him. Oswald, that is. Yeah. Now, if you have a relationship of any kind with Oswald and the as the FBI, and now he's the man being charged and being framed for killing Kennedy, you have to distance yourself 
Of course, he's not an FBI asset. Of course, he's never been involved with us. Even Dulles said in the executive sessions that Hoover would lie about it only because he'd have to. Even to the president, he'd have to lie because of the importance of what was going on. So, well, you can even find a past event with that too. It's not even with the FBI or the CIA, but you can look at the example with Dallas police and Hosty in that note. I mean, that note was destroyed three weeks after, um, or no, the note was given to them three weeks before the assassination happened. And afterwards, Hosty was on given on orders to destroy the note. I mean, it doesn't need to be some grandmaster conspiracy, but they're covering up the fact that, oh shit, we just had the guy who allegedly tried to blow up the headquarters. And then it turns out to be the killer of the president. You don't want that tracing back to you. So covering your ass is a real thing. And it's oh, yes. no, well no known. Doubt. <laughs> no doubt. And, 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 you know, the thing about it is, 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 if you look at the evidence of the cover-up, the evidence offered in total, it, it plainly spells out that Oswald was railroaded into being the man accused and killed for killing Kennedy. So if, if, if that's the case, um, you really have to look at the evidence differently. It, it, it has to... Let's move on. <laughs> I would say you'd have to look at it with, uh, I would say, I would say an open mind, but I mean, it's critical thinking. I mean, there's a lot of things that just don't make sense. I mean, if you say water is H2O, we all know that, but there's a couple of things in like the Warren Commission with state stuff. And I think the public knows that as well, too. But how do you get someone to care about something last week, let alone something 60 years ago? You know, it's a great credit to the people that do spark up an interest. And I think it's because you do see a, a severe misjustice that does happen, whether people stand in the boat of who did it and all this type of stuff. But the public wants the cliff notes. We saw, I don't know if you saw this after the document release, but everyone was like, I mean, popular people on like social media platforms were like, can someone give me a breakdown of the documents? And I was like, that is the dumbest question or dumbest statement to make. But so many people were trying to figure out, oh, wait, this is real. Let me catch up. And like, look, I've only been in it a year. I feel for you guys have been going through that for so long. But I saw that I was like, no expert's going to want to start speaking about it. They have so much documentation you can look at that you can read about, but people just want the cliff notes. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I took all of the, the I have a spreadsheet. I think it's got 62,000 lines in it with links to all of the documents. So little by little, every couple of days, I'll, you know, or every day, I'll go and click a couple of links and see what they have to say. Um, I find it interesting that not only is there the JFK side of things and very, very few new revelations, again, other than this a well-known double agent, one of the best sources of information we ever had down there in, in Mexico City, in the Cuban consulate, a guy named Abreu, who was known by the CIA as um, Litamil, L-I-T-A-M-I-L, was his little nine. And um, <clears throat> he was friends with Askew. He was, he was involved and at the Cuban embassy all the time. He used to be used to identify people on the photographs when they would take photographs. He knew the people there. So when they asked him repeatedly, did you see or do you know anything about Oswald being in Mexico? And he replies, no, repeatedly, as does Little Mill 7, as does the activities that occur there. I mean, something as simple as Askew yelling at Oswald to leave. Okay, that sounds like a normal thing, right? He was being an agitator, supposedly, in the, in the consulate, as accused the guy in charge. He shuffles Oswald away. 
right? You know the story? Haven't heard of it. If not, it's okay. Well, that's what Asq did. <laughs> he came out, yelled at him as well, and had him kicked out of the building because of his arrogance. Now, another well-known spy, Amug II, which was a Russian, uh, or rather a, a, a defector who was down there as well, would tell us the story that <laughs> Askew worked for the Cuban, you know, Cuban intelligence. Askew's job in Mexico was to interview anyone wanting a visa, and if American tried to turn them into double agents. Now, That's here's. That sounds so much like Jack Downing's. Um, if you know who he is, he did that during the Cold War. His whole profile fits like, and his. I looked this up. There's a document search thing on Adobe you can do, and there's a T1 that gets mentioned a lot with Oswald. Now they probably have many people under one code name, but when I did T1 in the document search and then just did JFK afterwards, it was Jack Downing's profile that came up, and he was well known for during uh, the Cold War. He would do this whole defector type thing and interview these people and it was like a bunch of stuff where i was like this like would be perfect but ever the date's different it's like 60 65 or 66 when he's you know credited for doing this and i was like i mean was he off the books i don't know it gets more into speculation i don't want to be a well that's a lot of their jobs i mean a lot of the jobs that spies had especially if they were around disgruntled russians or disgruntled um not you know communist type countries they would want to turn them to get information or, you know, that was that was the main source. One of the main sources of our information was turning people from um, billing clerks, filing clerks, I mean, whoever it might be, get information that we can't normally get. Now, here's a man, Oswald, if it was him, walks into the queue and he wants to go to, you know, actually, <laughs> he was only, you know, again. He was only there, according to Duran, on Friday and never came back. Except we have calls Friday evening, all day Saturday. None of that stuff happened. None of that stuff is real. All, that st all those calls don't sound like Oswald, don't sound like Duran. And you go to, you find out that Boris Tarasov, the guy who did all of the translation, was also, they were CIA asset, contract assets. Wasn't just doing translation. So <laughs> there's a lot of things going on into what happened and what they were hearing and what they were saying at the time that doesn't jive with all the other things that were occurring in terms of their surveillance and who they saw and who they didn't see. Um, most of the men down there continue to say that other than his being at the hotel and showing up on tape, we don't have any other evidence. We have no evidence that he was anywhere else. And then it's not until end of August, 1964, that Marina finds the magic bus tickets and some Mexico items in some briefcase, in some suitcase somewhere. Um, and gets it to Liebler to try to bolster the story. Um, there are documents from November all the way through August, September of 64 that contradict, support, change what he did, where he went, who he was with, um, the witnesses that supposedly were with him on the buses, 
it, it none of the none of it makes sense. None of it none of it really puts Oswald in Mexico. If so. I, I just got one last question for you, but if you there's been plenty of mock trials, obviously. I think only one was Oswald was guilty. But do you think if there was an actual full on court like hearing and all that, even documentation that's been out in the past 60 years, do you think that that would label him guilty? Do you think it would clear his name, make him innocent? I, I think the problem is in a court of law, the evidence, 99% of the evidence, if not more of it, would be inadmissible. What evidence could you use that was not already shown to be inauthentic, altered, changed, inaccurate? Um, any of it. Again, I think we started out that conversation early on before we got on was the fact that I'd love to see a piece of incriminating evidence that I can't take and, and show you that it's not authentic, that it's not something that we can rely on in a court of law. I mean, what's what what would what would be his most guilty thing? I mean, what, what's the most guilty part? We 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 <laughs> Nobody saw him actually shooting. Brennan didn't see him actually shooting and claims that he didn't even see a scope on the rifle when he looked up, even though he saw 80% of the rifle. He saw 80% of the rifle, didn't see a scope, but is able to describe exactly the person who was shooting through a window on the sixth floor and then doesn't identify him in the lineup. Okay. There's coincidence and there's inconsistencies. What's the evidence? What is the most damning piece of evidence that you can put in a court of law? That Oswald did it. Well, he worked at the building. He worked at the site. A lot <laughs> of people worked at the building. Exactly. What, what you know, I can prove to you that the rifle was never sent to him and he never had it. I can prove to you that the pistol was really not in his possession. I can prove to you that, I mean, what else is there in terms of that he wasn't on the sixth floor when it happened? What else do we need to prove? I, I think mean, he's a... innocent until we're proven guilty. What would prove him guilty? What would prove him guilty? I find that people start to have their eyes kind of turn a little bit when you just mentioned that he was never convicted for killing Kennedy. You know, he never lived to see a let child. Me ask you, let, me, let me throw another one really, really quick. Yeah. Fritz never asked him a question about Tippett. Not one. Look at his interrogations. That's interesting because they were mentioning that he was only being charged for killing a cop, not killing Kennedy. Yeah. And there were lineups being done that evening. And while he was being interviewed and being interrogated, Fritz did not ask, at least according to the notes, which, again, is the evidence we have, not a single question is asked about his killing Tippett. Now, why would that be? Hmm, because... A fourth wallet was found at the scene that had Heidel identification in it and then disappears. Where are all these damn wallets coming from? Look at the, yeah, look. I look got one the, wallet I've had for 12 years. I haven't bought any others. There's also a photograph from Irving of a studded wallet that doesn't get entered into evidence. So there's actually five wallets. I like I like the idea of a goth Oswald. I'm sorry, a studded wallet. That's hilarious. Is that great? Yeah, I mean, I have the photo. It's an amazing photo of a, of a studded wallet, uh, nothing in it. And if you go to the inventory list, the, the DPT, they did those little note notepads that have alphabetized 
evidence, and then they have the actual large checked off numbered inventory sheets that start with the letter G11198, 11197. They have all these inventory sheets. And there's only two wallets on there, the red one from Irving and the blue one from Irving with something called the Marine Group photo, which exists, which we have, which was not entered into evidence as part of the contents of the wallet. So where did the hide that, where did all the, do you carry in your wallet now something from seven years ago, like your, your military ID that no longer is valid? I think I have an old, I have an old like ticket I got at a carnival and that was about it. Yeah, maybe, you know, the, if you look at the contents of the wallets that he had, that they attribute to him, that supposedly incriminates him again, you now work back. Okay, they have all this stuff. Where did they get these things? How did they get them? The, the, there's a famous exhibit, the coal exhibit in the, War, in the Warren Commission report. That's one you want to check out. <laughs> it's negatives and positives and the mark, the erasers and the rubbing out of the negatives to create the Heidel cards. Now, where did he get all this stuff? They usually say that I had a theory that he he made his own fake um backyard photographs at one point because he worked at that Stovall company. But they did work at, yeah. at Jaggers. Yeah, I was but, like, that's a kid thing to do is to you know put your face or whatever and try to seem cool. I mean, the Hunter of Fascist things written on the back. There's just a lot of things that just like I said, his personality is one that's really. I mean, you can't connect to somebody or try and want to investigate into somebody without knowing who they are. And there's so many depictions of him. It's like, well, take your damn pick. Which one you want? The backyard photo, you know, a couple of days later, you've ever seen the ghost photo? Yeah. Okay. The ghost photo is him holding the papers and the rifle. It's actually the, the uh, Roscoe White I've image. heard that. Okay. On the 29th of November, Detective Brown and a few other the Dallas police and FBI go out and they do a recreation photograph of the backyard. And... What pose does Detective Brown take in this recreation? He doesn't take the infamous one that made Life magazine. He takes a photograph of the image that disappears for 13 years. We never saw it. We never saw the Roscoe White militant, you know, with rifle until 1975, when when D. Roscoe D. White takes it and brings it out for for the HSCA. So did they have it back then? They had it and suppressed it. No, it's fresh off the, pre the press, the whatever the printer I mean, that they had. Something, if they had it, they, they didn't show it. And then they lose one of the negatives. The Dallas police loses one of the negatives. At least that's what the House Select Committee says. Not only do they lose it, they do not offer an explanation as to why. They just lost it. So there's only one negative and supposedly three photos now. And we're going to say that that was not, not created, not tampered with, just a natural photo that was, you know, again, listed when they went to Irving and found it the following day. Probably the most important photograph in this case, if, or close to it. 
and they don't even list it in the inventory of finding it. They don't mention finding it at all. It only becomes negatives and photographs at the Dallas Police Department on one of those crime scene um, documents. So where was it? I mean, how did they find it at the Payne's house in Irving if they didn't, they, they wrote down things like half used bar of soap and Q-tips and medical kit and all kinds of binoculars, all kinds of crazy things that they wrote down that they got from Irving. They find a photograph of the assassin holding a rifle with a pistol on his belt and do not call this out as evidence. They don't list it. It's not in the 455 items that are listed. I just want to see the, the scenario where that happens, where a guy walks by the photo. Should we put that in evidence? He goes, that's not suspicious. Keep on walking. And just yeah, walk right going. past it. Yeah, it, 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 it blows you away. They and, even and checked that, books yeah. and tried to find a note that was hidden in a book as well, too. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Can't, you can't that say that it did. wasn't thorough investigation. It was thorough. Just it was like really, really like crappily done thorough. Like, you know, if you're looking for like, we're just going to detail the apartment as much as we possibly can and then miss out the major chunks of evidence, you start to question the investigation. It's the same kind of with the things that they brought from Ur uh, from Beckley. I mean, Beckley has been a very big bone of contention for a lot of people. I've read some great essays on how Oswald did not live, live at 1026. I don't know if I can hop into that just yet. Good God. You gave me enough on Mexico. I got some reading I got to do still. We can stay with the, 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 the rifle's a little easier to deal with because it's kind of, I mean, it's ballistic. It's right there. And it's kind of obvious. Um, you know, what did he, what did he put it back to? I, in my original paper, I asked things like that. Where, where did he go get it from to bring it to the sixth floor to assemble it? Where did he hide it all day when he brought it in the paper bag that didn't fit Curtain under rods. his arm and didn't fit? We did, it didn't fit, but he did it. Let's suppose that they measured it wrong. They looked at it wrong and he somehow got it into the Texas. And what's his face? Uh, Doherty at the bottom who says nine times. No, he did not have anything in his hands. And they don't want to believe him either. But he gets into the Texas School Book Depository with the bag and... What do we got? We got a, a stock. We got rattling pieces of metal. We've got a paper bag. <laughs> okay. And nothing's ripped, no oil in the bag. Um, and he hides the bag. When did he go up to the sixth floor? That leads When did he know? When did he think uh, JFK was coming by? See, that's even more important. The, they were late. the invitations were for 12 noon to most of the elite people who were going to be at the luncheon. The plane was supposed to land at 1130. The plane landed at 1150. He was late. How did Oswald know that he could wait until 1220 to go up to the sixth floor and that, Oz, that Kennedy wouldn't be coming by until 730? As opposed, I mean, 1230, as opposed to the 20 minutes before that. How would he know? How would he know he was late? Well, we, turn, we come to find out that Mrs. Reed in the Texas School Book Depository's husband was listening to a radio. And he heard that they were late. 
and he told her on the phone. Now, I don't think Oswald spoke to Reed, but maybe he did. Okay, so he's seen on the first floor around noon by, by Junior and Norman and a handful of people. And Carolyn Arnold claims to have seen her him right about 12.15 outside, inside the front doors, right behind the double doors and, you know, by the landing there. So, okay, at 12.15, he does what? He runs up to the sixth floor without being heard, assembles the rifle, zeroes in the sight, and is able to be ready to fire without knowing any of these things. How does he do that? How does he do that? Well, he's obviously James Bond. I think we figured this out by his many I mean, trips to Mexico. You know, they and have Williams up there. Williams on the sixth floor who's asked by Dulles, how come you left the sixth floor? He said, well, it was so damn quiet. There was nobody up there. Well, when did you come down? About 1220. Okay. Didn't you tell the FBI, he's asked, that uh, you left three minutes after you got there? This is what the FBI report said, that he left only a few minutes after he got up there. So no, I, I never told the FBI that. No, I, I was up there at least a good 10, 15 minutes. I had my lunch, but it was so quiet and, and I wanted to be, uh, you know, I guess he went down to the fifth floor to be with his friends. I don't know. Why did the fifth, why did the guys on the fifth floor stay on the fifth floor? Wouldn't a better view have been the sixth floor? I'm going to have to get you on one of these panels that I do because there's a couple of people that focus in this area and this would be great to just go back and forth on this because yeah. you, you're giving me enough of your time, man. And I'm afraid to talk about anything else just because I feel like anybody listening is already getting lost in the... Like, Probably. Said, I, I, and I'm sorry for that. No, too. It's, it's good. That's the best part about the JFK assassination is that people have done sp sp specific research and have really kind of focused in, you kind of just start going into so many things. I mean, I could ask one question. It could lead into like an hour or two hour universe because there's so much there and you have to preface. But I I like try, I, you know, there are shows out there that do like 30 minutes or 15 minutes. I'm like, you can't explain anything in 15 and 30 minutes. I was like, it's good to just be able to break it down. You definitely cleared up some things with Me Mexico City for me as well, too. I'm gonna have to look over some more of your documentation too because the FBI and I never heard about the Warren Commission allowing to, that's to me, that's nuts. But um, is there a place where people can find your links, David? Yeah, if if they go to the Kennedys and King site, uh, I'm one of their authors, and you could look my you know look me up there. Um, I have all of the stuff that I've written has been posted there. I, I wrote a I wrote a fairly nice, fairly good article about Judith Baker <laughs> and her evidence. Talking about evidence again, she uses a famous W two that doesn't exist in the real world, which is kind of interesting. Um, I went 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 pretty deep into trying to find out. I, you know, I want to give people their bona fides. I want to prove that they're right. I actually would love to find once in a while that what they're saying is true, but it just doesn't ever seem to happen. <laughs> Everything I get deeper into, you find that there's an FBI or CIA asset that has control of the circumstances and the evidence and information we get has been through this looking glass filter um, down there in Mexico again. Ochoa added notes to this summary documentation. <laughs> let me let me add one more thing about Mexico. I'm sorry about this. Um, every month they take all of the these tourist pieces and alphabetize them and put them in from. Uh, the first to the 15th alphabetized and the 15th to the 30th 
31st of the month in a, anything in their alphabet does. So Oswald came in at the second half of September, right? Supposedly passed into Mexico on September 26th, 27th. Except when you go to the summary report, and he came in as a man named H.O. Lee, is how, is how he's recorded as. That's what his name is written as, Lee, Harvey Oswald. Except when you go and you look, it's alphabetized under O. Right where Oswald would go, not where Lee is, is alphabetized. Okay, so we get the documents that are compiled by Mexico that just, I mean, in innocent things, just put the names in alphabetical order. The man's name is Lee, comma, Harvey Oswald. The man's name is Lee, H.O. Lee. Where do you alphabetize H.O. Lee? In L, after K, J, K, L, M. Except you go and you look, and Lee, comma, Harvey Oswald is alphabetized under Oswald. How would they know that? There's they a, wouldn't. Not, there, in, not in September. There's a similar issue or, with Jack Ruby and Jack Rubenstein. Some documents are under Jack Rubenstein as a real name, which is just like, I mean, it, it brings up more confusion, but it's also like, it's not like they're lying, but it's also, they're just being assholes with the information as well, too. Look around. As you start seeing things, look at how often the name is referred to as Harvey Lee Oswald. The military refers a lot to him as Harvey Lee. Um, the CIA refers, the FBI. There's quite a lot that refer to him as Harvey Lee Oswald. And the real Lee never liked the name Harvey, never used the name Harvey. And uh, it's, it's a it's a I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because it's a book and it's a, an analysis that takes a lot of work um, that has a lot of next time uh, conflict with it. Maybe next time. Yes. Uh, maybe I can get John Armstrong here with me. We can do it all together because he's the author and uh, he's the one who's exposed me to all of this stuff. And from there, you can go like with our shows, you can you can go from there and go into any direction you like. I, uh, I'd love to get you both on, but uh, I want to make sure I link your links in there because you've done extensive work, too. And I appreciate what you have done, especially someone that's been interested in the assassination for going on a year now. Um, it's really good for someone from my generation and maybe younger generations as well, too, who are interested and also don't know where to look. Um, I'm going to make sure I link all your links in the description. David, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.